0: Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey
1: man, what's going on with you?
0: Oh, you know, just grinding away, manny, trying to trying to check things off uh off the list.: You're stump grinding away. Uh, well, yes, I'm stump grinding away. in fact uh that that project uh, the 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 project du jour for this week was uh, 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 digging about a 16 foot long ditch or trench about two feet deep. Not you. Which, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, me and my son uh, dug this trench it's uh to to run the gas lines, which all got broken when that tree collapsed
2: with a shovel oh yeah God. with, Jeez, with
0: a shovel great. and a pick
1: so and, how many bodies can fit in it
0: uh well it's it's a it's a pretty narrow trench if you'd have to you 'd have to uh process them a little bit you know if you if you if you did some grinding, you could uh fit i don't know a, a few uh, quite a number but uh just uh in 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 whole bodies i don't know uh, we'd have to make the trench a little wider no it's it's just wide enough to uh it's probably about four inches deep at the bottom but uh about i don't know 12 inches wide at the top and uh uh, two feet deep so uh, that's
1: what my ex-wife said
0: okay (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah so you're digging you're digging this and what 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 is the purpose for digging this
0: well because all the gas and water lines got torn out when that that tree was uprooted because they were they were all going through the roots so all that had to be you didn't have
1: insurance to let someone else do this work why are you doing this work
0: no no these are all uninsured losses manny Oh God, Jesus. Yep, I'm com- coming out of pocket for all this. So uh, FEMA
1: didn't help you out or anything with no, that?
0: No, FEMA generally doesn't help with uh with with anything other than your home, you know, unless it's some kind of special program where they're they're uh, you know, paying to have rental units rehabbed, but uh that's that's not in play now, so Um, no, this is all, uh, coming out of pocket for the people I'm hiring to do this. And, you know, I, have I've hired people to, uh, to dig trenches before for water lines and stuff, and it's not cheap. Definitely not cheap.
1: So you're, you're putting you and your son are doing it.
0: Yeah, well, we did it. We did it. The plumber came out today and ran the gas line in that that trench. He uh, complimented us on our our digging. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that was good. And
2: your son will never forget that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yes, we have another uh, bonding experience to Mm. uh, to. To yeah, look you're back lucky on he didn't
1: it. take a shovel and hit you over the head with it. <laughs> I
0: know, I know. Well, he's, he's a good boy. He's uh, he's he's very uh, helpful. He's, a, he's, he's always yeah, always really yeah to a
1: He's a good man, not a boy. You call your yeah, son a boy yeah, anymore? Yeah. Yeah, that's he, not a good idea. He's a now man, that he's now, dug he's a trench,
2: always, he's yeah.
1: always
0: been a good boy. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, well, I'm excited for you. you dug a trench. Uh, well, you right.
0: know, make again. Just trying to trying to get through every stage of it you know one one step at a time it's it's so much it's so overwhelming if i thought about it for too long i i I couldn't go on so i'm just having to chip away at it
1: cool well, yes.
0: Right. Right. So, uh, what's going on with you? What's going on in the mayor's race, man? Are you, yeah, I, I keep hearing about forums that you're you're, you're on. But where can we see these forums? Are these open uh, to the public? Yeah. Or are they? Yeah, uh, you
1: go you go to these certain organizational websites. I don't know where. I, oh, I, okay. I couldn't tell you. Oh, their okay. Their names of the, I mean, there's like the uh, the uh, bitter homes and garden website. You mm-hmm. know, there's right right the uh, the homeless shelter people. I I. I don't don't know the names of these organizations huh. they just basically send me an email and i'll say yes i will answer these questions and i do and i submit it but t- as far as i know I, I really don't know i i mean i could if i wanted to if i had a staff or something like that i could actually you know tell you where to go but you know there's so many of them and right
0: but you so you haven't done any like live events or, or yeah zoom i did i events. did so- a uh,
1: live uh, zoom thing with uh the greater new orleans housing authority
0: okay how'd that go
1: uh they hated me (laughs) they hated me big time. well the one girl the young there was two people two people two on the panel and the young white girl dug me but the old black woman did not dig me at all Mm, okay you know know, so you know so whatever i don't really give a fuck and okay but um can't win them all can't win them all. I don't know. I mean, I, if the, the nation just goes and 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 uh, 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 googles a certain organization, Louis in New Orleans, they'll be able to see if I answered their questions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know. But I, I t- off the top of the head, I, I really, I, I would take me like a day to make a list of all the places, all okay. the sites that I, I, I. Uh, I uh, you know, answered and stuff like that. And I've been very busy. I was with Dave Clements all day, so
2: okay. I'm fucking
1: lit up, man. You know that. Okay, you hang out yeah, with yeah. Dave, we're lit up, man. Right, and I can he's, hear a, that. he's a good guy and stuff like that. So we're excited. We're having our big fundraiser this Saturday. Yes. And we've got some fucking uh, rock and acts going on. Um, right. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun at Carrollton Station. Starts at seven o'clock. You know, so Trouble yeah. Nation, if you're local, you know where to go. Carrollton Station, it's just a. Uh Right across the street from the trolley car station and stuff. Like right. Well, that. by
0: the time this comes out, it would have, ar- will have already happened. So uh, they'd have to have a time machine to, to go back and make it. Upon hearing this, but but we will be, we will be uh, uh, have have the the podcast equipment set up, and uh, you know.
1: Yeah, you know. I don't. You know what? We're we're going totally electric on this show. So I don't know if you're going to want to be like in that room where we're going to be. Uh, so you might want to go outside and we can do it in the patio.
0: Okay, perhaps. Uh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. could do that. And you because people could just uh, could uh, stop in out there and, and you right. could stop. Right, and I don't know how
1: much I'm going to be able to participate because I'm also, me and Dave, we're coordinating it. I'm also one of the stage managers and stuff like that. But you can ask guests to sit down with you and okay. uh and right. party and stuff like that and, and you're only going to be there for it for an hour because you got a gig yeah later.
0: yeah 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 i'm, I'm kind of between two gigs there to, at the uh, at the fundraiser
1: right okay uh but yeah it should be fun and uh uh you know uh i i don't know about you uh, did you see the uh that uh many saints of new jersey the prequel to the sopranos did you watch that
0: I started to watch it, and I uh, I, I fell asleep somewhere about, uh, I don't know, the a third of the way through, so I need to watch it again. Oh, well, uh, don't
1: even bother. It was a piece of shit.
0: Really? You didn't care for uh, it? I
1: didn't care for it at all. I thought <laughs> this was like, this is a piece of shit, man. This is like, you know, I mean, I was trying to get interested in it. I was trying to follow whose characters, uh, you know, were the fathers of the characters and the Sopranos and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And the whole thing about Gandolfini's son playing his, the young soprano, that was okay for like a minute or two. But yeah, I, I, more yeah, thin. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just like, I was pretty bored with it. But then, but you know, uh, I heard that uh, prequels are the new thing now. Hmm. They're going to make more prequels. To, yeah, I guess uh, it
0: it's it it keeps them from having to come up with a new idea. They take a successful old idea and say, "Well, maybe this happened before this old this." Uh, right, and I, you had. know,
1: and this is not only just for television shows, but also for movies. Um, uh, remember the movie Brokeback Mountain?
0: Uh huh. Sure.
1: They're making a prequel to it.
0: Huh? Really?
1: Yes. It's going to be called Hard Crack Valley. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, never saw that movie. Never saw that the never saw the original. So. Uh, I well,
1: uh, yeah. Well, I, I saw it, but I thought it was a western when I saw yeah. it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: They told me it was a western, but then uh, you know, middle of the movie, there's two guys jerking each other off.
0: Sure. And, well, uh, that that sounds yeah. like the west, right? I mean, I don't know what. what well, the what,
1: wild, wild west. I guess I uh, don't yeah. know, but uh, I'm excited for Hard Crack Valley.
0: Okay, yeah. all right, something and, to look forward to. And you should yeah. put that on your calendar, Yeah. So be on the and lookout. Then, and then there
1: also, I heard, because uh, you know, Hollywood can't come up with anything original, because that's mm. why they make these prequels or sequels. They're coming up to a prequel of, remember that movie Thelma and Louise?
0: Uh, yeah, another one I've never seen, but sure.
1: Yeah, uh, there's a prequel called Lousy Two-Bit Whores.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And if you all saw right. the movie, you would get that joke. Oh, I've, I've seen
0: I've seen pieces of it. I've just never. I mean, I kind of know what the movie's about. I know the uh, you know I've seen a few uh, classic scenes. But sure, okay.
1: And then they're making a prequel to the movie, the classic movie, ben Her*. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called *Bend Her*.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some of these are still on the drawing board, huh, Manny? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, geez. Well, there was some, uh, you know, I've been, been following the Raiders this season because it's an exciting team, you know, some exciting games going down. But you're not a
1: Raider fan.
0: Well, I actually have been a kind of a Raiders fan my whole life, you know. I'm not, I'm not a diehard fan like you are, but I, I have a soft spot for the team, you know. I know, it's but a, are
1: you a Saints fan?
0: Um, you know, I, I, I'm truly not a huge football fan, man. No, I, answer I do. the
1: question. You can only have one team to root for.
0: Uh, you know, what is your I, team? I, I I like to watch the Saints play. I enjoy seeing the the Raiders uh, games that I've watched this season. So I you know I, I've uh, uh, see
1: I've, that's bullshit. You have to be a fan of one team, and that's that's the way it is. You well, can't I'm, you I, can't I, be a fan I, of both. You know, says who you know. Well, that, you know, says me. I mean, well, I, mean, I don't
0: AD. have to subscribe to those rules. You know, it's like saying All well, right. you can only so you're get a, one You're basically band. what
1: they call a fair weather fan.
0: Well, uh, it's in past years where i would watch a raiders game and it seemed like nothing was really happening it was not very compelling yes i would i i, I wouldn't so you're a Fairweather fan okay anyway beyond my fandom that's not really the point of of this this uh, this little segment is uh, so you know, everything was looking good for the Raiders, but, uh, man, a rough spot. Uh, Coach gets uh, – gets, gets, uh, Yeah,
1: outed. well, you know, this is the world we live in, and this is why I hate this world we live in. You say something 15, 11, 15 years ago, and it come back to haunt you. It's bullshit, you know. You know, it's stupid. But it is what it is. This is the world we live in now, you know. But I, do, I did hear that uh, Gruden got a job right away another hmm. job okay yeah he's uh he's doing two shows a night at the flamingo uh and he's wearing blackface
0: oh so, brother jeez <laughs> you know. oh, yeah yeah, well, it's a, yeah it's a it's a great
1: show apparently he's he gets up in women's gear and blackface and he's doing two shows a night at the flamingo on the strip and more power to him I, you know it's okay oh. chucky chucky will survive He's got uh, si- 6 years left on his contract where it pays him 10 million dollars a year. So he'll be all right.
0: Okay, so I guess they got to buy him out of his contract, huh? Or, there a, or is, is there or is there I have a, no uh, idea what his contract yeah, like was. It a morals clause it was, was, uh,
1: that, uh, Well, maybe it was, uh, but uh, who knows? Uh, you know, uh you know it just it goes to show you that no one's safe i mean he wasn't even working for the nfl when these emails came out or these text messages came out he wasn't even a coach then he was no he wasn't right. an nfl employee
0: Right, right. You know, well, you know, you, you looking at that, you gotta wonder what uh say like uh, Jerry Jones, you know, owner of uh Dallas Cowboys, you know, like what, what do his his emails look like? I, I can't Or
1: Gail Benson, you know. Well, I'm sure yeah, you, know, you know, everyone who, thinks who she's a saint. yeah, who knows? Right. But it's this is a white uh run league, you know. Uh, right. all the owners are white. Right. And you know, what the country we live in, the rich white people, are, I'm sure they're all prejudiced, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, it's definitely a, the NFL has had a culture of uh, you know,
1: I don't know. Well, it's a slave culture. Ninety percent of the players, the employees, are black, right? Right. right. You know, and one hundred percent of the owners are white. So it's a right. plantation culture.
0: Right. Right.
1: You know, so it is okay. what it is. Sure, I mean, sure. the, NFL, the problem with the NFL is, is there's there's too many players. You know, there's you know they have fifty three players on their roster. Whereas the NBA, there's 12 players, and in the NBA, the players call the shots, and right. it's 99 percent African American, so they call the shots, you know. And the owners have to, you know, deal with them and make bargains and deals with them and stuff like that. Whereas the the average lifespan of a career for an average NFL player is two and a half seasons, and then you're right. done. You know, right, right. They they done. take
0: them in, use them up, and, uh, and
1: yeah, you're done. Cast
0: them to the side. I'm sure. You
1: know, so, And anyway, we can go on and on about this, but I'm excited about our guest.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah ready to get to get to our yeah, guest? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this is a fellow I've known almost my whole life, <laughs> uh, or, or my whole professional life, I should hey. say. I uh, met him way back in the 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 early mid '80s. He's a terrific. A uh, saxophone player, a uh, horn arranger, um, came from Memphis. He's played on a, a, a ton of great artist records, Aretha Franklin, Mavis Staples, Al Green, Alex Chilton, uh, Irma Thomas, on and on and on. Uh, what We're going to get to all that, but uh, without further ado, the great Mr. Jim Spake. Welcome, Jim.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, and, uh, you know, gosh. <laughs> You're you, welcome. You, 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 you make it sound like well anyway. Hey, hey, how are y'all well, doing could, over there?
0: Oh, well, we're good. We're good. You're up in Memphis, I assume. I am in Memphis.
2: Right? I live here. I'm from here, and and uh, it's nice to get away, and it's nice to come back, and all that. You know, it's
0: it's right. But you're one of those guys that never really left Memphis. You just you've you've. you've been, I, never, I mean, you travel all around. Travel, you, but yeah, I have never.
2: On, on I've never tour, packed maybe. up. Packed up my records and moved away anywhere, you know. But, right. Uh,
0: and, and why would you need to? You've had such a successful uh, career and, and run in Memphis. Now, now taking us back. So, is uh, you grew up in Memphis? Is your family from Memphis uh, longstanding?
2: Nah, my mother was born here, but my grandmother, her people were from South Alabama, and my father's people were from North Carolina. So, it's kind of like the drinkers came from south alabama and the f- nice farm people came from north carolina but um yeah i i'm the youngest of three kids so maybe i was spoiled or something i don't know but i uh i got into music pretty early i wanted to uh, like to play the harmonica and shit along with records and stuff and hmm. and my grandmother kind of played this stride piano style situation Sang a couple of songs.
1: The Carolina part of the family. When did they start you smoking cigarettes?
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> these people never smoked, man. And they weren't like Wow. They weren't like Bible thumpers either, man. My uncle is still alive. He's like 95 over there, and I really like to visit him because he talks to uh, he's ta- he reminds me of the way my father talked when I was a kid, and then my mother would have said your daddy never talked his country as that, you know. So there you go. But um, yeah, they're just they're just like regular farmer people, and I guess they didn't grow tobacco or something. I don't know. But uh, hmm. you know, I smoked, and hence I really I've never smoked cigarettes. So that's okay. Well, it's good for a horn player. You don't really need to. Yeah, be smoking. It do- but you know, uh, real music when I did pick up horns and stuff was like in uh, junior high school, high school. And, you know, I went to high school with, uh, your buddy, Doug Garrison.
0: Yes. I was going to say that's, that's actually, I think how I was trying to think back. I think that's pretty much how I met you is, is through Doug. Cause I met Doug there. Uh, he was playing with, uh, with, uh, finest Newburn. right. At the, uh, the, the Eggleston exhibit. Right. And I told and the you... story before and then, uh, you know, met him and I think he probably said, Oh, come see, see me play at, at Huey's, uh, on sunday mm-hmm. and uh i think that was like the midtown jazz mobile yeah the club
2: is the, named us it's a terrible name but we couldn't come up with anything but
0: but uh but but you and 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 doug garrison and a bunch of other guys had, had a steady gig at huey's on sunday playing straight ahead jazz and and uh came well, by there and straight oh, ahead
2: jazz and real book jazz too but okay. once once we got uh Gerard Harrison on guitar, we were playing more uh originals, and it was it was a fun and formative kind of thing for young people. I started to do that when I was nineteen, you know, and uh uh Fueys was a place for a long time that that gave local bands a place to play and uh you know, there aren't that many. It's mostly right, around right. Memphis it's mostly oh yeah hey, you can play here you can move those tables around and so you get you a place to you know it's not a real uh, live music place it's getting to be better I think but uh you know well
0: for, it's it, Memphis is known as, as a, a great recording center and and you know has, has so many great artists come out of there and uh, I guess it was I mean ardent recording studios has always been been there in fact I was looking at at, uh, at your your history and uh said something about like you first recorded at ardent in in 1975 or 77 somewhere around there uh
2: i don't know where i said that but yeah i think that's true and and it was like doug was playing with this local cover band and they were doing some demos or something they had me come in and play sax with them and i'd i'd been in there for something with memphis state you know we had done a jazz band recording over there or something and but yeah ardent uh, we were playing with this, Doug played with this band called Spectrum Highway. How's okay, that for a name, man?
0: Uh, yeah. That's a, a name of its time yeah. for sure. That's a real seventies name.
2: Yeah. And, uh, anyway, they had me play with them, but, uh, so that was kind of maybe my first, uh, you know, I'm just, we're making stuff up and I'm recording it. And then, uh, I got to record at Sam Phillips with this guy, Jim Blake, who was, uh, he was, he had this barbarian records label. And, oh, yeah. uh, he was a wild man and, uh, you know, he, I think he paid for the session in in drugs or something, but I, <laughs> okay. I was only interested in the weed part, but, uh, yeah. uh-huh. anyway, uh, that was a long time ago.
0: Right, right. Well, well you, you, so, so you, you met Doug Garrison in high school. Yeah. And, and you, we were, you, we
2: were in this like kind of, you know, award-winning, uh, jazz band program, you know, in the high school that. Uh, we had to meet after school. It wasn't on the on the books, but our our guy, our band director guy, was a real good uh doubler and and uh you know woodwind player. And the okay. year bef- the year before, Doug and I were in the band. They had gone to Montreux, Switzerland, and all this shit, and it was a, nice. a very prestigious thing to maybe be part of. And I had been playing clarinet for a year and just told the guy, "Hey, I'd like to rent a tenor." Could I sign up for some lessons with you? Because he was a great source for lessons for woodwind players, and he just threw me in the jazz band. I couldn't even, not even, I couldn't get the low notes out of the thing, man. It was all brand <laughs> new to me, and he puts me in the jazz band. It was kind of unfair, but uh, there were other of us, so there were like six or seven sax players in that section that year. and We would take turns, you know. I guess he was seeing who could, who could maybe hack it or something, you know. Uh
1: huh. Let me ask you something, yeah. uh, Jim. Uh, you're from Memphis. Were you there during the Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler wrestling fiascos?
2: You know, I think I was. Was that like '77?
1: What year was it? That? Was it was like more like 79 80? to '81? So I was here. Say.
2: I was here, but I wasn't that tuned into it at the time. I, I liked Andy Kaufman, but I. I didn't have much TV watching going on back then and uh and it was I grew up fascinated by the wrestling anyway cuz it was in in Memphis it was Saturday morning wrestling. Yeah. yeah, I can hear the theme song right now. And uh so that's where you know uh Jerry Lawler, you know, we grew up yeah. watching him turn from like a good guy to a bad guy, and then back to a and good. guy. Back to a good guy, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but just, you don't remember anything about Andy Kaufman in those years where he's wrestling. I just, women I and remember
2: that. hearing about it, you know, like after it had yeah. happened, and uh, then the next thing he's on Letterman, you know, doing the neck. Because there's right.
1: a there's a great arena where all the wrestling was in Memphis. I forget the name of that arena.
2: Coliseum. Uh, it looks like a big old spaceship, man. It's really right, great. right. A great, right, yes. Mid-century. Uh, monolith or whatever you call a big round thing. And, um, you know, it hasn't been in use in years. I got to go in there not long ago. Well, a couple of years ago and it's moldy and messy in there. And I think they've used it for sound stages for some movies to be shot, but it's a really, a, a giant wasted space. And part of the reason it can't be renovated and used again is all these fucking anti, uh, competition clauses that the, uh, the, we have a basketball team here and they have a big old place downtown and it's like, they say what gets to go in what other, uh, you know, the, even Grizzlies, the, yeah, yeah, the, the Grizzlies. Grizzlies. Yeah. Yeah. The Grizzlies. Yeah. I'm not a big you sports know. guy, you know, but, um, I knew it was the Grizzlies, but, uh, anyway, so yeah, it's, it's, it would be so expensive to renovate that place, but there's a group that's trying to, uh, at least preserve it or save it from being ripped down
0: nice nice well so jim you're 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 thrown into the uh the jazz band and you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Uh, you know you're you're trying to trying to keep your head above water and in, in, in that that new environment yeah uh, what kind of saxophone players are you are you starting to listen to to to, to get a sound or, i got or, you
2: know, i got into stan getz and that was probably from my band director and then from the guy yeah. next to me in the jazz band uh he was a baritone player but he was really the best soloist we had He turned me on to Eddie Harris, man. Eddie Harris, like, live at Montreux and shit, man. I mean, that still freaks me out. And you know what's crazy, man? I've been listening to that, what is it called, Swiss movement, live at the Montreux Festival in 69. I've been Uh listening to that record since, you know, 71, 72, 73, and only recently have I discovered that on YouTube you can see them playing it. So, like, I know every lick that's going to come up, but you can see them playing it. I oh, like cool. that. That's one thing I like about living in, you know, today's times. You can, right, you can right. see shit on that internet, but then, you know, you go down the rabbit hole next thing yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: I, I, I love those, uh, those Eddie Harris uh, uh, McCann records. That, oh, yeah. That, uh, that, that where it's like uh, these kind of uh, – cocktail jazz records or like you're that's in a club and you can hear people moving the glasses they must have a, a mic on the on the crowd or something you know right. you can really feel like you're there the, and there's that the great
2: uh there's that great eddie harris comedy record called the reason why i'm talking shit but the word shit is kind of censored on the cover uh-huh. and uh it doesn't have any full songs on it but man it's got him just talking and he could have easily switched over and become a you know, Red Fox kind of dirty comedian. He was yeah. great. That record, if you can find it, it's wonderful.
0: It's, oh, okay, I have to. It'll make you giggle today.
2: and wiggle. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> anyway, yeah, Eddie Harris. So, 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 uh,
0: you know, the, you travel around with this uh, award-winning uh, high school jazz band. Like during the time you're in that band, you you must uh, progress a, a lot because you 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 come out of that. Uh, and you know, you 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 wind up going to Berkeley College of Music a couple of years. Uh, Went there a year,
2: know. yeah. Well, you know, we play. We had a rock band in high school, and uh, and Doug, of course, was in that, and some other good players. And I tell you, a lot of really monster players came through this high school. Man, I've often said it's like a Malcolm Gladwell chapter or something okay. that this band director just happened to have a great interest in uh you know getting kids to not just march in the fall and play concert music in the spring and then go home and whatever he was really a dedicated guy and uh you know he had played on the road in big bands after he went to the Manhattan school of music i don't want to keep talking about him but he really made it possible he would give us the okay he would give us the key to the band room which was a freestanding building so we had this rehearsal hall all summer or after school at night you know and uh nice it was it was really a good environment to grow up in i can't uh what was his name because
0: because we like to uh we like to pay tribute to these uh these foundational his his uh, name
2: was his name was jim terry and he was a bad motherfucker man he played on some isaac hayes records you know so a lot of times he would and at the time there was a big uh, jingle industry here you were talking about recording you know, mm-hmm. in Memphis, and, and uh, so he would take me to these jingle sessions, and uh, I would just be fascinated. All these cats sitting down there, and it was all recorded live when I went, and um, uh, they got it right. It didn't take them like 20 takes. These guys were badass, you know, so I was like, I want to be like that. You know, I like I like this line of work. This looks pretty good to me. Show up to the studio and shoot the shit for a while and then sit down and play your part and listen back to it get out of there you know with some money so right uh and then our 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 band at the the big band we made a, an album every year and uh one year doug did the artwork i'll have to send you a, a picture of that album man you may have seen nice. it anyway um so that was great experience too man being in the recording studio and the way this guy ran these high school kids in this in this jazz band was like a professional band you know you did not you were not going to be late for rehearsal you know and uh, mm-hmm. you're not going to fuck around or or try to practice your part while he's talking to the trumpet section or something. You just didn't do it because, you know, everybody had great respect for him, and when you have great respect for a guy and he yells at you, then you feel like a total <laughs> dick, you know I mean?
0: Right, right. So,
2: so you just avoid uh, getting in trouble with him, and he was okay to hang with. And uh, even in uh, regular concert band rehearsal, you know, he might have – you come in the band room everybody's kind of getting their shit together to get ready and sit down and play and he's got uh you know uh what's that live uh, miles at carnegie hall man which is some kind of hard mm. to listen to music when you're a little kid and uh, or a young kid and uh you know i remember when I, I i knew the tune stella by starlight somehow and i was like i remember going that's stella by starlight yeah. so anyway <laughs> Anyway, he was he was a good uh, good influence. And right, you know, right. I always kept up with him when I had a really good gig or a, was on some kind of cool tour, you know, I, I would I would let but him But as know. a
1: young teenager, weren't you listening to Zeppelin
2: and the Stones? Fuck and all yeah. That
1: kind of... Hell yeah. And yeah. and
2: and he uh you know he was he got more accepting of that. There was this drummer who started the Memphis, the famous Memphis drum shop here in Memphis named Bobby Hall. Oops. I mean, Robert Hall. And, uh, the story this was before my time or Doug's time, I guess the story was that, uh, that like Robert Hall insisted on turning Jim Terry onto, uh, onto like the Beatles. No, really listen to this recording, man. And like, (laughs) you know, he kind of sold him on it. And, uh, so he was more open to shit by the time we came along and like, we, we played Led Zeppelin songs in our rock band, you know, and uh, we had some Mahavishnu orchestra worked up, baby. I mean, okay. I wish I had now, recordings of that. Now,
1: this was, was this guy Terry into, like, you know, punk rock, Clash? Yeah. Yeah. You know, did, nah, nah. He, he wouldn't, didn't want he, any of
2: that. He would have never understood that. But this was kind of – this. I graduated from high school in 75, so it would have been before that, but – zappa you know frank zappa he he understood that zappa was cool and we had some somebody had arranged some stuff from that hot rats record for big band i'm sure it was pretty cheesy but we did one of those you know i think and um or it was in the book and uh well now
0: well now jim during this time were you already aware of uh of like the the memphis horns the whole stacks uh uh andrew love okay
2: well uh I I would just look at record covers at the record store, you know, just look at the uh, the uh, uh, who's playing on it, you know, jazz mm-hmm. as well as like stuff that I kind, of, you know, I uh, my brother, eight years older than me, he was a big influence on on music like um, he was kind of into folk and blues, you know, in that early earlier '60s thing, so I'd listen to his records, Dave Van Ronk, Mississippi, John Hurt back when folk okay. and blues kind of mixed together or something. And so he had a pretty good record collection of stuff. And, um, but, uh, what were we saying? I don't know.
0: Well, uh, just, I was asking about, uh, the Memphis horn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. And
2: so, so like eventually I'm, I'm, I'm asking the band director dude, cause I know he plays sessions, you know, and I'm asking if he knows those guys and he kind of vaguely knows them, but he doesn't have much to say about them. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, just from reading the liner notes, I remember asking my 11th grade English teacher, Ms. Logan, and she was black, you know, and I assumed that, you know, everybody at Stax was black, I guess. I don't know. And uh I asked her one time, are you related to Ed Logan, sax player, who is kind of a really minor figure in the whole Stax thing, but his name was on those records, you know? Mm-hmm. She said, no, no. And then like years later, I found out Ed Logan was this, you know, redneck white dude that was kind of in there with a, but you know, that was kind of uh, interesting, but, um, right. Uh, I was really, I'll tell you what, I was from the eighth grade. I was a huge Leon Russell fan and he was my shit, man. I liked other stuff, you know, and I bought cut out records back then, man, cut out records. You get records, 22 cents at places that were still.
3: And,
2: um, but like Leon Russell was my guy. And, and once the guys in the, in the jazz band, uh, learned his name they would make fun of me you know but like i'm like and i'm still like yeah you you want to make listen to this record motherfucker because leon russell man i I was a big leon
0: Leon russell fan myself as a kid and and still really do love those records man Man, those early records
2: are great and anyway tremendous
0: cool piano player yep oh hell yeah songwriter singer yeah great
2: anyways um you know no well you know like the jazz band thing was like a good outlet and it was a learning thing to you know, be, be thrown into the improvised channel, you know, like, Hey, you take a solo, you know? And uh, then he like exposed us to this like jazz education stuff, which good or bad, you know, you got to look through everything you can to see what you like. So we went to some of these uh, we went to an Jamie Abersold thing up in Kentucky one time. Okay. The cool thing (laughs) about that was besides his play along records that he sells and he had a room full of like jazz cutouts, man. So uh, we went to some of those clinics later on, you know, like uh, as adults kind of when we could drive to them. And the thing about Jamie, man, you could come home with a big stack of, of, uh you know, corners cut off, Elvin Jones records, all these Blue Note records, which in the 70s, they just wanted to get rid of where well, they had lost mm-hmm. their ass, I guess. And so I still have you know well i never throw anything away but
3: right. yeah so that
2: was like a good ex- ex- exposure to getting getting some records going that you know would last me a long time
0: well so so uh you know you, you come back from berkeley you're 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 uh, back in in memphis and and you, you get back into the the, the ardent recording scene because look i'm i'm looking over the i'm looking over your your discography i'm thinking jesus uh besides you and and Andrew Love was was anybody else getting any sessions at all cuz it seems like you played on all the records Jim
2: No man uh I mean it was I I came back from there uh, from Boston in like 77 and I was just I was really kind of homesick for playing gigs cuz you know by the, uh, by the time I was 19 you know like you you, used, you were playing gigs when at a young age and so you know how you know if that was kind of taken away from you I mean, because in Boston, there's so many musicians. So I played maybe three gigs for money the whole time I was up there. And, you know, it was like I missed my jazz homies and my even my wedding band people, you know, that I used to play with. So uh, so when I came back, we started that jazz thing. And that was good for like what they call exposure, I guess, because people go, oh, that guy, that young kid that, uh Plays down there at, at Huey's, you know, because we started that in 77. You heard us in 84 or five.
0: 84, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we
2: started that in 77, and it, it went until the early 90s with that group. Uh, and then they nice. had other stuff in there.
0: So people would see you there, and they'd say, Oh, well, uh, I would love, we'd call like to the saxophone gig. on this track. Uh, get spake.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, g- probably because I was young and I was able, maybe. You know, I'm not saying I was that able, but I would I I did know that, you know, if you say you're going to be somewhere, you you go and you are there. Right, yeah. You know, you don't fuck around with people you don't, and well, take it. I took it seriously, you know, and I've never been any good at trying to uh, generate work. You know, I'm not a guy who can go out and go, hey, you need to use me on your next blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. But um, but I've just been lucky as shit, man. I mean. And then, like, I didn't do that much session stuff really until Alex, probably. I played on a Don McMahon record, and we, we made these Jazzmobile records, and you know sold them out of the car or whatever i've i've still got a really big pile of them in my basement okay now.
0: so 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 it was uh it was uh it was uh, us hiring you for the alex jilton records that plucked you into obscurity and and uh and gave you the career you have today. yeah because man that, that i saying? have a
2: i have a whole history of you know uh playing on obscure records um well, I tell you, oh,
0: but then you've you've played on all these, you know, uh, Aretha Franklin, uh, you know, like uh, all. The I've, only, I've only I've only played
2: with her live. I've only played with her live.
0: Oh, okay, okay, but but, but, uh,
2: but you've but, um, with all
0: kind of uh, Irma Thomas, all these these. Great, well, yeah, uh, we'll know, get, but
2: Sid Selvage, stuff, yeah. Did well, you you knew ahead. you knew Sid salvage Did I did
0: saw Sid play many many times at the North End. Yes. Well,
2: he he hired me to play on this record that that Dickinson produced on him, uh and it was on his Peabody record, and that was at Ardent and. Uh, Uh, we did some fun experimental things like, you don't have a baritone, do you? No, I don't. Well, uh, let's try this, you know. We'll speed up the tape and you play the tenor. So there's some really funny sounds on that record. But anyway, then, uh, you know, Alex, uh, I guess Doug recommended me from Alex, but I was in there with Fred Ford, the, the inimitable larger than life wouldn't you say fred yes
0: ford. yes fred ford a giant and yes.
2: noki taylor and and these cats uh alex liked it loose and they were about as loose as it comes man and uh or you know maybe if we'd have done it some more they'd have tightened it up. Yeah, but.
0: Well, we did that. We did all of y'all's work in three hours. Yeah, and, uh, that's I think, true. I think I think we 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 had y'all cut live with us and then we gave you another pass right. a, as an overdub and then I think we used all of that. We just turned them all on. <laughs> yeah, I mean
2: you know that's one way to do it. I found out you know and then so but that was really fun uh, you know meeting you and 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 Alex because I didn't know Alex um, before then. I knew you know Doug had been playing with him, and uh, uh, one time I was playing with this guy Randy Haspel. He was a local Memphis legend right. for a while, and, and I played with him like in his later years, uh, mm. and now he's really in his late. Anyway, Doug and I both played with him, and we were playing this gig at this place called Trader Dicks, and this guy, this bloated looking drunk guy, you know, over by the bar, kept shouting out, uh, "Truth from my eyes." And eventually I just turned to Randy and like between songs, what the fuck is that guy talking about, man? Oh, uh, Truth from My Eyes. That was this song we had, you know, this hit we hit record we had, you know. And I'm like, I knew the song, you know. I had no idea Randy was the singer on it, you know. And he didn't do it on his show on his show. But this this drunk guy wanted to hear it real bad. And I go, Well, who is that anyways? Fucking Chilton. So I'm like, <laughs> that is Alex Chilton, really. And uh, Alex was not having a good period there, you know. Whatever, I don't know. Yeah, can't I can't say what year it was. Maybe eighty or eighty one. I don't know.
0: Right, right. The the he he was in the state uh, that that brought him to New Orleans. He yeah, right exactly. There, the end of his Memphis rope. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah.
2: right. And and he uh kind of went to New Orleans and and rethought things or just redid things. So anyway, right. it was great to uh, to meet him in his more creative like stage, you know, and uh. Right. I still don't know uh, why somebody doesn't love all those records we made with him, Rene, but... Uh... <laughs> Anyway, some
0: people do. Some
2: people do, I guess. Yeah, yeah,
0: know. a lot of people do. Yeah, I don't know yeah, why everybody
2: just, doesn't love them. They love well, Big Star yeah. a lot, you know.
0: Right, right, right. Well, yes, there, there are, there is that that cult of Big Star for sure. Anyway, we that, well, the, we you know, those you those know I never
1: even that. heard of Alex Chilton until I met Renee. I had no idea who this guy well, was. Well, there you go. He's
2: and I, and Alex liked <laughs> you know. it that way, you know. Alex was yes, fine. yes,
0: but but uh, all of, all of your friends from L.A. that you that you hung around with and played music with knew who alex was and oh yeah man it was uh, uh the chili uh, really? Peppers. know who yeah the chili peppers definitely know who alex chilton is yes the, yes uh, uh hey, you can monster, confirm you def- can
1: confirm this
0: i guarantee it i guarantee it man yeah. all right yes. okay. Thelonious monster definitely knows who alex chilton is yes yeah. they they open for him yes they for sure
1: but does yeah. he know who they are
0: Uh eh, no
1: yeah okay of course not
2: because he's dead yeah
0: he is now but uh anyway
2: anyway so anyway so uh, but i'd already like done something with tav maybe too you know uh something we recorded in the daytime at um at uh the well you know the the antenna club right and uh and that was kind of new and i got into that through doug easley so Mm because i'd played in a kind of cover band with doug easley and uh I knew his brother Ron a little bit, but he always scared me a lot. Still does. <laughs> Sorry, Ron. And, uh, no, not really, but you know, I give him his space. So yeah, yeah. Tab, between like the tab and Alex stuff by now, uh, Dickinson was calling me to play on some records. So that was cool. I thought that was kind of cool. My brother was always a Dickinson fan because he had that Dixie fried record and I had right. it. I had that on a cassette on the back of, uh, of uh of what's the rolling stones record with uh brown sugar on it you know okay so dickinson played on one of those songs so that was my cassette realization
0: okay and that that was an entree to dickinson and all the records that he produced i I know you know you wound up on on a bunch of those things
2: yeah some of them are totally forgettable
0: yeah, I want to get to, to all that whole period, but Manny, uh, you think it's, uh, it's, it's about that time?
1: Yeah, it's our time, that Jim, that we take a break, uh, fill up our glass, and, uh, and, and the troubled nation knows the drill, and uh, we'll be right back.
0: with mr manny chevrolet
1: we're back and we're better than ezra
0: and i'm renee coman and we're back with our guest mr jim spake now jim uh uh we've we're back to our original sponsor these days uh it's which is has uh was originally and still again loose change
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah loose change Loose and change, hey, what you know, happened to uh, the uh cbd people man the well
0: that's that's a good question we're wondering what's happening uh, we we understand there may be some rebranding going on oh. with the cbd people and, they well,
1: got uh, busted man oh it's totally <laughs> they weird. got busted and uh, oh, oh. we're you know we've got some lawyers and
2: uh, we don't know, want to add to their problems
1: yeah we don't want to add
2: to yeah yeah their yeah
0: so anyway so but they're good
1: people they're yeah bad. yeah yeah
0: yeah he's he's going to we we feel uh, confident he's going to he's going to pull through it but, uh, uh, so back to loose change. So, you know, we've, we've identified places you could find loose change, like, uh, you know, under the couch cushion, couch the, cushions. The, uh, the car ashtray, uh, your daughter's,
2: hey, hey, I was moving a dryer today and, uh. I think there was some loose change in that, and I intend to. There get, you go. Get okay, to the bottom right. of it, man. It was really rattling, right. like they had. Right, right. Well, send so, it to us.
0: Yeah, so uh, so we're we're relying on uh, on loose change uh, to support the podcast. Uh, it's uh, back to being a completely uh, listener supported operation. So you know you can uh, access that PayPal link in the show notes or our Facebook page. It's uh, PayPal dot me slash Troubled Men Podcast. And, uh, you know, you, we have, uh, the t-shirts for sale and we have the Patreon page. You can, uh, if you want to, you want to, uh, support us on a week in, week out basis. We, we do appreciate that. And, uh, for free, you know, you can, uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, uh, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to uh, podcasts. uh, review us, rate us, give us five stars. It really does help. Um so uh uh moving on and uh, moving back to our guest now jim so we we're talking about your your uh your recorded uh output and yeah. uh how you're you're starting to work with, with uh, jim dickinson and uh and your your name is getting getting known and well, i'm not sure so that. so one of the first bands I, I see that you're out on the road with i was out with alex and then green on red after that but somehow you're out with uh the del fuego's
2: yeah, well, here's what happened. The Del Fuegos had a record out on uh, Sire, was it Sire, Warner Brothers Sire, and uh, they were managed by the same people that the replacements were, and so okay. Dickinson had made this replacements record in '86 uh, or something. I guess it came out in '87, and that's all these fuckers listen to, man. And the and the on the we started out in an RV. It was bad, but. Um, <laughs> They they said, well, this guy Jim Dickinson uh, produced the replacements, and they've got like horns and shit on there because he had Dickinson didn't bother to call me, but I mean I had there's like Prince Gabe the alto players on there, uh, okay. Wayne and Andrew the Memphis Horns were on a few cuts, and then uh, teenage Steve Douglas has a great baritone solo man on there, so cool. so they were like. You know they're from Boston, so you know they wanted to have soul, so they they got <laughs> their they got their people who also manage the replacements, and they're on the same label. Um, to like call Jim Dickinson and get him to find just find us a Memphis horn player of some kind to stick onto our band, right? And and so uh, Dickinson, I guess, gave him my number, and they called me out of the blue, and I said, well, gosh, okay, sure. And then I sort of had second thoughts, man. I had like a four-year-old kid and I kept him some of the time. His mom kept him, you know, most of the time. It's like, I had second thoughts. And then someone said, man, you got to go do that. And, uh, in fact, at that time I was playing in this hotel band that Duck Dunn was the bass player in. How about that shit? Wow, uh, wow,
0: the great Duck Dunn from uh, Stax Records.
2: Right. And Doug and I had played with him with Randy Haspel too earlier. But anyways, um, um. Duck said, hell yeah, man, uh, you got to go do that, you know, because I, I had to dump, they had a three-night-a-week gig at, at the damn Peabody Hotel, so. Um, so I went out and did it, and uh, th- you know, had a scant rehearsal, and I didn't really know what I was doing there, they didn't need a horn player, and I, I at the yeah. time, I, I wasn't <laughs> really equipped to go, here's what I'll do, uh, this will be my, you know, offering. I just kind of waited around for something to do. I wasn't very effective with them, but, uh, so we came to Memphis and played at the antenna club and, and there's Dickinson, you know, and he goes, Spake, what are you doing here? And I said, well, they told me that you gave them my number, you know? And he said, yeah, but I didn't think you'd do it. And that was, (laughs) that was really comforting. And, um, so it was a weird month or two. It was like a couple of months, man. And, um, we were opening for the Georgia satellites opening for Tom Petty and the heartbreakers, you know,
4: okay. And
2: I wasn't a fan of any of that shit, but after, <laughs> after a few gigs, I really, you know, I kind of got to liking the whole Tom Petty. Uh, yeah. I thought yeah, it was, a,
0: love that sound. Uh,
2: I got, I got it. You know, it's like, right. I didn't go out and buy all his records, but I mean, I, I had respect for it. And that Benmont Tench guy, you know, duck said yeah yeah. duck said to tell him hey and all that so i i I, i'm not good at going up to somebody at a catering and going hey man uh, duck dunn says hello you know the Uh fuck am i what is he gonna what's that gonna anyway uh del Fuegos and i ran into you guys we were um maybe we were not opening yet or something but i mean i remember we we were on playing on the same venue the del Fuegos and alex and uh and by this time, we'd made it, those records, uh, which they, d- these Del Fuegos didn't seem very impressed by, and that that didn't sell me on them, you know.
0: Right, right. So,
2: uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they did. But um, so I just said, "Hey, can I sit in with you guys? Because I'm playing like the same shit every night over here, and this is <laughs> it's weird. So, y'all let me play a few songs with you." I want to say that was in texas or something i don't well, know the,
0: the the a couple of stories that i that you told me at the time that i i uh, I, I always remembered and one was i think the band found out what you were getting paid mm-hmm. and and it wasn't yeah. a figure that you had even named it's just what the the management had thrown at yeah, you yeah yeah and, and i took it and, uh, and you duck took said
2: it. duck said ask him for a thousand dollars a week and it, it wasn't that much but it was uh, close, lot, close to that. Yeah, It was a right, lot the, more than the boys in the band were getting. Because, I mean, you know, you're supposed to go out there and suffer for your label, I guess, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. And so so the guys are out there and they find out what you're making. They're like, fuck, none of us are making that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And they, they didn't like that. And then, they, you know, I think they kind of started uh, picking my uh, role apart. I did meet this cool guy, though, man, that I've kind of gotten in touch with these <coughs> 30 years later uh, named his name was, uh, he calls himself Brother Cleave now. you know who that is? Hmm. He, I don't. He, re, he remixes um, like Esquivel kind of shit. And he had a, okay. oh, he, he had this band called Combustible Edison. You ever oh, heard of sure.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So they're like lounge uh, pop kind of right. stuff. And right. uh, so he was a cool guy. He was the guy who had the cool movies, VHS, of course that mm. we would watch on the bus and when we finally got a bus they eventually got us a bus and oh man uh so anyway when that gig was over i, w- I was ready to go home
0: well I, I, another story that 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 you told at the time you said uh at, at lunchtime one of the mm. guys in the band would pull out uh, sandwiches that he'd made
2: <laughs> well he had read he had read the guralnik book you know um and read about Solomon Burke who would make sandwiches and buy groceries and sell that shit to people on the bus when they're starved after a gig. It would be more like after a gig, like pulling out to hit the road. I think we did some of that, you know, not many hotels, sleep on the bus thing. So yeah. once he'd go to bed, we would all just go in there and raid his fucking cooler because, you know, <laughs> we'd get to a town. He'd want to go straight to the grocery store, man, so he could fill up his grocery cooler and uh, – <laughs> And, uh, the
0: commissary and we just fucking went uh-huh fucking yeah
2: yeah i think i'll hold off on that sandwich now man he was <laughs> he was the bass player but uh you know, it was it, he had a good idea, but he, it didn't work on us guys. You
0: know? Right, right. Well, well. So, so you 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 move on from from the Del Fuegos uh, and and uh, looking at other people you've toured with, Levon Helm. You
2: well, do, that was actually that was man, that was like I was uh, probably twenty then. That was like in the um, very early '80s or late '70s, where uh, he had made that record, RCO All Stars. With all those cats on it, like Saturday Night Live, Horns, and Duck, and Cropper, and uh, Steve Cropper, and Dr. John, and all these people were on there, man. And then he made a solo record here in Memphis that I had nothing to do with, but Duck had produced it, and uh, uh, this guy, Joe Mulherin is his name, he's still around, he's 10 years to the day older than I am. And he's what we call a rock and roll trumpet player, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that was right. his thing. But he's also, I mean, he, for a minute, he worked at Stax before they closed and he's done a lot of shit. He's, he's just, he knows how to put stuff together. So he was, he was putting a horn section together for Levon and had me do some of that. And it was, it was, it was great fun, man. I mean, Levon Helm, I certainly knew who he was, you know. And, uh, sure. and, uh, we toured around in Texas and then we went up to play like Avery Fisher hall in, uh, New York, man. And, but we got to, uh, we got to the, uh, the place where they did Austin city limits and, uh, you know, so leave on. Okay. We're here, man. Uh, we're going to do, he'd been refusing to do it the whole time. And uh, he said, I'm not going to do Austin City Limits. And he had just been in that movie, Coal Miner's Daughter, and he was like freaked out about being on screen. And, you hmm. know, maybe he was into some other stuff that made him a little paranoid or something. But, but okay. he was uh, super cool, man. He reminded me of like my father's people, just kind of real, real down home, for real, no bullshit. Salt of the earth. Yeah, man. Yes. Literally. Well, not literally, but, you know, yeah. As salt of the earth as you can be. So, so, uh, the, the band that was touring with him was this band, the Kate Brothers. <clears throat> and they were a pretty good band from Fayetteville, Arkansas. And one of them was his cousin or something. And uh, so they like went in and they talked to the people and they said, he's not going to do it. And they said, well, fuck, we're all set up to do it. So they did a half hour segment with the Kate Brothers. And like they brought Duck. Duck was on the tour with Levon. And they brought mm-hmm. Duck out as a, as a guest, and then they brought the horn section out for one of the songs we played with the Kate Brothers, and uh, so I got I got to be on Austin City Limits as a young okay. punk. I was a skinny guy with you know longish hair, and um, right. but uh, so that was that. Live on Hell, man, was so cool, and we played at Bill Clinton's first governor inauguration in Little Rock.
1: Well, and, wait a minute. Levon never played Austin City Limits with you guys?
2: Not with me. I mean, he might have later on when he got he over He refused his, to go on. He refused to go on, man. He said, I told you I'm not. And the, the tour manager on that on that tour was a guy named, well, I'll just say his name, Ray Perrette. And as as far as I can tell, he was highly parodied on Saturday Night Live as the tour manager- uh, with like the satin jacket, and he would, he would come up to you, and you know, like put his hands in front of your face with this thing, and go go, you know.
1: Yeah, that was a Dan Aykroyd character, right?
2: So that was uh, that was based on this guy, and he was actually the tour manager on this on this tour, man. Ah, that was that pretty exciting. Bad. But um, we did this uh uh Clinton inauguration, and and Bill Clinton had to borrow someone's saxophone, and of course. You know, it was mine, so.
0: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> if you're a Bill Clinton that Was the
1: Dan Aykroyd character there with Bill Clinton?
2: No, no, that would have been good. Maybe, no, I don't think he was there for that. I think we just drove, I tell you, man, the the Little Rock gig where Bill Clinton was inaugurated, it was snowing like a motherfucker, and the roads were icy, and it's about a two-hour ride to Little Rock. And uh so, well, we're not going to make it. Man, the airport is shut down. We're not going to make it. They got, um... You know, like state troopers, we got somebody to take us to West Memphis and met these state troopers and these, we rode in the back. I rode with Bill Easley, uh, in the back of a state trooper ch- vehicle on icy roads, you know, that we'd have to stop, we'd have to get out and piss on the side of the road and stuff. And, um, uh, it was, it was pretty weird because, you know, I was like carrying stuff that I didn't think Those. Uh, yeah, <laughs> troopers would want to, you know, have anything to do with. But it, it it was it was cool. I mean, Levon was great, man. And I got to play with him a few times since then. Um, one time uh, he had Garth Hudson down, and Not it nice. was like a bunch of his New York buddies. I think by this time he was already doing those midnight rambles, and he he opened the uh, All Tech Arena or something in, in Little Rock. With a, a lot of other acts, but uh, got to play with him there. And Garth Hudson, man. I gave Garth Hudson a ride to the motel. And dig okay. this, dig this, Renee. He saw this flyer that we had, uh, that I had in my car. And it was like uh, Fred Stock. We were raising money for Fred Ford. So this must have been 99. And um, had this big concert. And he, go- he looks at it and he goes, Freddy Ford. And no one ever called him Freddy Ford. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, Garth Hudson, you know, he he might he's old, you know, he might have. A, he goes, alto player played a uh, kind of sweet like Jimmy Dorsey, and I'm like, well, yeah. And he goes, uh. he had a he must have a photographic memory. He goes, yeah, I got a record, and I happen to have a copy of this record. It's on it's it's a yellow label, and he plays Stardust, and I go, man, you know Fred Ford, goddamn. <laughs> So uh, wow. that was amazing to me that he knew who Fred Ford was.
0: Cool, cool.
2: And, uh, so, and also Mulhern, see, he was this—he was this guy who could get shit going. So, somebody from the uh, Jerry Lee Lewis camp called him, and like Jerry Lee's playing in Vegas, and this was bad times for Jerry Lee. Uh, IRS was on his ass, and Joe got a horn section together for him because. It, in Vegas at that time, if you didn't have like so many people on stage, they would hire people for you to play on right, stage. Right? They still with.
0: had union minimums for these rooms. Yeah, yeah. You had to have so many guys on the bandstand.
2: So uh, J.W. Whitten or whoever it was, he was he still is Jerry Lee's you know body man or whatever. He uh, uh-huh. he says, well, fuck, I'll just get Mulhern to get us some horn players, and because uh, everybody hung out at Huey's at night, you know, Mulherin and and uh, and J.W so we had one rehearsal with the great kenneth loveless and we uh you know he said now now the killer killer sometimes will do this and the killer will do that he always called him the killer you know (laughs) and uh we got out there to vegas and i'm like wow you know las vegas and uh had like a five piece horn section we had no idea you know what we were really going to do and uh the, so the band warms up for Jerry Lee and he's still not there and they're still playing songs and he's still not there and finally it's like someone pushes him on stage and he comes out and he's super fucked up i'm not I'm not telling any out of school stories here I mean he was sure. bad off and uh uh official story for us was oh he he fell on his ranch and um, <laughs> he he hurt his something and uh so like between the first show and the second show of the night, it was supposed to be like you know, uh, fourteen days, twenty-eight shows. Between the first two shows, they fired us for the second week, you know. And uh, <laughs> the next day, it said next week, Johnny paycheck, you know. So, oh, so like at this point, really, I mean, this is eighty or something, and and I'm, I'm like, Jerry Lewis, this is the guy who kicks the piano stool, right? I didn't even get. Who he was really yet you know until i'm looking across the piano we're at the end of the piano and the first gig he looks over at us like what is going on over there and he goes he realizes we have horns we're holding instruments and he goes let me hear them horns you know what do you do <laughs> you know Mulheran goes b flat chord so we play uh, some kind of chord, and he was cool. I mean, out of the fourteen shows we did, do uh, three or four were like, man, on fire. He was f- incredible. But people were, you know, they paid money to see him, and they were heckling him about the IRS and shit. And oh, he would geez. he would get rattled by that. He'd turn away from them. I'll tell you about the IRS, motherfucker. You know, <laughs> so that was that was kind of a shocking thing. And, uh, but it led to another, like a year or months later, it led to another gig out there where we backed up Brenda Lee and, uh, okay. she, it was nice. the same, like promoter or something. So we called Mulhern again and, uh, I guess we worked cheap. Maybe we were undercutting the Vegas geysers. I don't know, but she had a book and it was very, uh, you know, pleasant. And I got to work with the great Memphis, uh, sax player, Jerry McKinney on that gig. So that was really cool. Oh, Okay, cool.
0: Now,
1: did uh, after the first week with Jerry Lee, did he get John Gruden
2: to open for him? <laughs> John Gruden—he's
0: <laughs> he already said he's not a sports fan. That's the guy we're talking oh, about. Oh, that Just guy, like the fired, the, fired right. the Raiders coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I so think uh, he was at yeah, one yeah.
2: of the shows, but I don't think he opened for us.
1: Now it says here that you played with Tony Bennett.
2: Man, I played with Tony Bennett and another. I mean. This was, I mean, I've played a lot of gigs where, and this is where like the Aretha Franklin, I played with her probably three or four times, you know, uh, they hire somebody like this and then you get an orchestra from the town, you know? So it's just like being on someone's list. So I got to play with Tony Bennett at Mud Island. The first year they were open, they had this little amphitheater out there. It's pretty nice. Now it's all weedy because they can't use it because of the FedEx forum or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, Tony Bennett, man, was so cool. He was just sitting out like between the sound check and the gig. And I went over to him and said, man, I kind of grew up listening to you. And, uh, you know, you're you're my mom's favorite singer, you know, which was true. <laughs> and that's a horrible – once I said it, it was like, oh, that's a horrible thing to tell somebody, you know
1: well you know yeah. because they just came out with a great 60 minutes piece on i him gotta where, see that you know, i want to see that because he's talking amazing. about memory it's and amazing. stuff well it's you know he's got alzheimer's mm-hmm. or whatever they want to call it and it's amazing thing to watch because they interview him and his wife who's you know maybe 20 years younger than he is yeah and uh He's, you know, he can't answer any questions. He can't answer one mm. question. Oh, really? No. Oh, yeah, man. it's 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 so sad. But oh, then God. they bring in his piano player, and his piano player just starts hit hits a note, and boom. Yeah. He's 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 on it.
2: It's a different he's part, part of the it. brain, you know. It's a different yeah, part of the brain. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: that's what that this was. This whole piece is about. They ah. talked to his his brain his brain doctor or his you know whatever doctor right. specialist, and she's saying that. This is, this is like a part of the brain that reacts to it. And then he does a show in August where, you know, he doesn't know where he is, and right. they're filming this whole thing. They have Damn. no idea. Where, he, he has no idea where he is. He's at Radio City Music Hall. It, his wife puts him in a tux, and he goes up on stage, and the orchestra starts playing, and it's like he doesn't miss a beat. He does not miss a beat. It's the most amazing thing to watch. It really is. And I I was able to see Tony Bennett a couple of times in my life. And to be honest, he was better than Frank because I saw Frank Sinatra about four or five times in my life, and he blew Frank away. Yeah, he He did this thing.
2: I I, I took my mom to see him years later at the Orpheum here. We got this nice old theater. And um, he does the thing where he'll put the mic down. You know, know, these these old – theaters are so great they're built so great acoustically and i'm going to do a song with just the piano player now and I'm not going to use a yeah. mic and he puts the mic down and man he he had it then and uh, you know it's i gotta watch that and he um
1: you should just youtube it it's, it's kind of a hero. 60 minutes thing yeah the guy uh, was amazing in fact i remember in the 80s you know he was also a great painter yeah fabulous yeah. painter and uh, my mom and my my aunt Went to see him at the Westwood Playhouse, which is in West L.A., and um, it's maybe about an 80-seat theater. Hmm. And it was just him and a piano player oh, and his man. paintings. Oh, his wow. his paintings. So he would like, my mom told me he would like talk about the painting and then go into a song that inspired the painting. Right. And stuff oh, like cool. that. The oh, guy man. was amazing, you know. And he loved Lady Gaga
0: yeah
1: (laughs) you know and that she's part of the 60 minute special too because there's this heartwarming thing where during rehearsals he didn't know who she was oh wow and they had played tours before and stuff like that and then the night of the show he goes she comes walking out on stage and he goes lady gaga (laughs)
3: <laughs> and he
1: remembered her and she broke down in tears i would be
2: breaking down in tears watching this i'm sure man i mean oh really? yeah it's that's, that's badass that's that's great
1: yeah you uh, should check it out man troubled
0: nation check it out you got yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll watch that i'll have to watch that myself man, well man. so uh other names that jump out at me uh chuck berry of course we can't pass by uh, i played you know, i played it,
2: one gig with chuck berry and it was it was exactly like they say, you know, yeah. didn't they A disaster? Like, well, not really. <laughs> he didn't, he only tuned his guitar once, you know, let's just say that. But I, I rode to Houston in the back of a van with this guy from around here back in the day who used to back up oldies these acts. So he might be backing up the crystals or the Dixie cups or something one night. And then like Chuck Berry, um, we we uh, drove out there, Made it, uh, God, I guess we got left early in the morning, went to Houston. must've been a corporate gig. seems like it was on the top of a building or something. And, uh, he, he actually, (laughs) he actually, he actually came out and said, we're going to play some Chuck Berry music. I mean, that was literally his standard line, I guess. Uh And uh, and we did, and he'd give me a lot of solos, you know, and I didn't know why he was giving me solos. I mean, I think people are here to hear you, Mr. Berry, but, um, but he was he was he was Chuck Berry. I mean, it was. He said, "Play for that check, boys, right?" Yeah, man. I guess.
1: Yeah, and because uh, if he didn't uh, like the band that was hired, he wouldn't pay them,
2: right? He or he didn't, yet. you know, he held money back or something. I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, who else have I played? I played with Ray Charles, man, once. You know. T- tell cool. us
0: about that. The great Ray Charles. Well, man. I
2: mean, it was, again, it was like one of those contract things where they call you to to do it and, and you have a little rehearsal. and They I bring they
0: keep, a smaller group in and they, they yeah, hire a... Probably, they f- they
2: probably f- had a rhythm section. Yeah, probably had a rhythm section. And that, that, uh, local strings and local horns. And, uh, you know, it was kind of... It was the grand opening of this Germantown Performing Arts Center. And, you know, it just kind of did a real... You know, it wasn't like uh, what I say. Although he might have done that, but it was like, you know, it was like Ray Charles in the late '90s or something. So, did he pay you in one dollar bills? <laughs> no, but Tab Falco did once.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, Ray Ray played alto sax on that gig. Man, I was really uh, charmed by that. I thought that was cool. I mean, he played one song on it. You know, right,
0: right, yeah. I have a, a record that my my dad had that I, I own now with uh, that Ray plays alto on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, t- back to that um, uh, Alzheimer's thing. Did you get to hear Moe's Allison much play down there? Because I know he'd play with uh, –
0: um, I, I, I did e. see him a number of times, and I was going to ask you about that because I'm a huge Moe's Allison fan. Well, and, I am and too. Turns out- Turns out his son is actually a big iguanas fan because we, we he and I have have corresponded some, but uh, but but tell us about playing with with, with Mose.
2: Well, Mose, I mean, you know, he just doesn't say anything, and then like, I think the last gig I I played with him, you know, it was like either after the gig or on a late break or something, and he kind of gave me some like, yeah, don't ever uh, don't play before the singer has sung the first eight bars, you know. And it's like, oh well, thanks for telling me this now. And uh, uh-huh. but uh, I played with him in in uh, Oxford a time or two, and up here once. And but mainly, I wanted to go and hear him. My favorite stuff of his is just him and a trio, you know. And right,
0: uh, yeah, I love all those Atlantic records. Oh that man, he made. yeah, oh
2: man. But the ones with horns are, are great too. And I even like the the Blue Note ones he, that Ben Sidron did on him and. Uh, He just always updated his old songs with new ideas and the perspective of an old person. And uh, the last time I saw him, uh, he had a huge audience here in Memphis at the Rhodes College over here. I mean, they really packed the place out. And it was a freezy night, you know, Uh, ice on the ground. But he Mm -hmm. was already kind of getting it wasn't Alzheimer's per se, but it it was just a memory stuff. So you know mm-hmm. he would like vamp for a long time before he'd come in on the lyrics, and uh, my good buddy Tom Leonardo, you know, drummer, friend of friend of Doug's and everybody's. Um, right. Uh, he worked with him, and uh, you know, just we all we all were just mourning the fact that that Mose was kind of not there much anymore. And right. But uh, mm-hmm. man, what a great philosopher! I mean, there are occasions where we. We uh, will just for a situation just quote the line of one of his songs without even thinking about it because it fits the situation so perfectly. And uh, to get to get to play with somebody like that just that really freaked me out a lot because I got my early training in jazz and stuff, but you know that's really putting you on the spot to play a saxophone solo with Moses Allison. Because geez, it's, but anyway. Yeah, it's very,
0: very high level. Um, yeah. Well, and uh, you know, like uh, uh, Mose had such a interesting like kind of Eastern European uh, uh, um, uh, aesthetic that he was applying to the blues. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just as a kind of Bartok approach to the piano. Yeah, he really in, was, with, man. Within the blues. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
2: yeah. you know, he would rework uh, Muddy Waters songs and, uh, you know, just... And it changed the lyrics a little bit to where to where it applied better to the times or his age you know or his you know race or whatever maybe even you know i mean he right he didn't uh he didn't uh i don't know he didn't like just copy the blue uh, and he always gave credit whoever whenever he did a cover song he always at the beginning and the end i think he would say who wrote it you know so he was he was great man.
0: Nice, nice. Okay, and then uh, Ike, Ike Turner is Ike a, Turner. Not a notorious uh, figure well, we have to. He- you know,
2: Ike Turner, man, he was pretty notorious. And um, we got to play with him on a little, uh, some kind of a Naris thing or, no, it was a Sun Studio, uh, I don't know, anniversary or something. Sam Phillips was there in the audience and, and they had people who were still around who had played you know, at Sun and everything. So we were like a three piece horn section backing up him. And, uh, yeah, I can't remember if it was a local rhythm section or not, but, um, I was like jazzed by this, man. I thought, well, this is great, man. So I like find his person. This is like one of the one times I did, Go and find somebody and go. Hey, man, Ike Turner. Wow, you work for Ike Turner. Look, here's my card. If he's ever in the area, you know, and needs a horn okay. sex, you know, because it seemed like we we hit it off with him. I mean, there weren't a lot of words. He was appreciative and whatever, but mm. sometimes that's all you get is a nice nod, you know. And uh, sure. so uh, Ike uh, comes back to town and he's working in the studio with. Uh, willie mitchell and a lot of the tracks he had already recorded at his home studio and but he was putting horns on some things and uh at that point i was in with willie pretty well this was like uh 2000 and um i was doing a lot of sessions over there and uh and uh, you know ike remembered me from doing that uh gig and i was you know talking to him and stuff so when the record came out i don't remember how we hooked it up but um how did we hook that up anyway he came to memphis just him and a and a piano and we rehearsed horn horn stuff and then i went and kind of wrote out what it would be like you know for these songs and um we were going to do a bunch of tour uh, you know not tours so much but just a bunch of dates in 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 bunches you know
3: mm-hmm. and
2: then he got to where he would like cancel most of them and i'm like getting these guys out of their gigs these other two horn players out of their gigs to go and do this and uh they're not too excited about you know like man we kind (laughs) of make more money just staying at home you know
0: well uh jim thank you so much for being on the podcast and uh as always on the Troublemen podcast we like to say trouble never ends
1: but the struggle continues Good good night
4: If you want to stay alive You must learn to thrive on jive You must learn to lie and like it Or at least not mind too much Got to teach yourself to smile and say I didn't want Give up, give in, don't fight it, or you get behind. Tonight. Go with the flow of the river of life. If you fake it, you can make it. You can float along. show sure.